0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer Podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Andre Carlisle. How's it going, Andre? How are How are you making it through uh, this this summer of, of international soccer? <laughs>
1: Um, I'm doing okay. It has been a lot, but it's also been very fun. So I always, uh, I'll, I'll take that trade off anytime.
0: Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, it's definitely mixed emotions today. It's Monday. Um, obviously everybody knows the last two weeks we've been recording on Tuesday because we wanted to catch those CONCACAF games on Monday night. Um, and so I was a little bit today, just like whew, breath relief, like sigh of relief. We made it through like phase one <laughs> of, of the difficult schedule, but I definitely felt, and we're going to get into this a little bit watching the first knockout round of of the Euros, being like, oh wow, we're really getting to the end of this thing, which is it's a little bit bittersweet because it's been a very special summer. Though obviously, these kinds of things can't last forever, not only for the players but also for us. So we've gone long on the U.S. a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, which makes sense. They're the team we know the most about. They are they were in the thick of World Cup and Olympic qualifying, but they are done now, and we have a little bit of a break before we see NWSL teams again this weekend. So we're going to look elsewhere. We're going to look do a little bit of a tour around the world because there's been um games being played in South America, in Europe, in Africa, a lot of very interesting storylines popping up before we get to the World Cup in almost exactly one year. So we are going to start with Europe because they're uh, they're the the teams kind of still in the thick of it here. Um The quarterfinal round of the Euros, and I'm going to do a quick just score roundup. I'm sure people are aware, but it's a good baseline. So England first defeats Spain two to one in an extra time epic. Germany defeats Austria two nothing in regulation. Sweden barely avoids extra time. They win it at the death one to nothing in stoppage time over Belgium. And France also needs to go to extra time to defeat the Netherlands one to nothing on a penalty kick. So Competitive games, you might say, in a way, if you looked at these scores and when these goals were made competitive games, but this also feels a little bit to me, like we're entering this true next stage of international soccer in the women's game, which is that these other, if you have a certain game plan, you get really close to sneaking one right against the team that's out playing. You tell me a little bit, Andre, what you thought of how lopsided things were in the moment versus what we saw in the results here.
1: Yeah, it was actually. I'm gonna admit um, because I was I was tempted by the idea of a very impressive quarterfinal or semifinal round with England, Germany, France, Sweden. I was like, you know what? I love the stories of Austria and Belgium, but don't mess this up. Mm. <laughs> don't mess this yep. up for us, right. uh, which is which is which is wrong and, and rude to them. I will openly admit. Uh, but yeah, you looked at it, and that's not how I felt through the course of both games. However, because Austria hit the post or the bar so many times, so many chances. And the defending was excellent. Their goalkeeper was excellent. Uh, Same thing with Belgium. Um, I'm I'm sorry, not Austria. I'm sorry. Belgium's goalkeeper was excellent. Um, And looking at the Sweden game, Sweden had so many shots and Belgium was doing such a good job defending. And so like both of those teams, as the games went on, it started to turn a little bit like, Oh, now I kind of want you to do the upset. But Kind of like win-win either way. We we kind of have the teams that we thought we would want to see. And in the, in the if you were to give us, you know, if you were to give me the the opportunity to choose the four teams I want to see across the semifinals, I'd probably choose these four.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. We I would say probably through all four though. I think probably the closest one was actually England versus Spain. Better team won, right? The yes. the team that that pulled that pulled out more of the stops went away with the win. Though it was interesting to see how how the, the games were won though. Obviously Sweden had an, a questionable offside call ruled against them. They probably should have gotten an opening goal in the first half game. Yeah. It looks very different if they are given that goal. Um, I think probably maybe they get a second or a third, just be having by nature of having broken the deadlock. Um, it, okay. So the next question, and I think that I enjoyed watching this because I, I well, just, first of all, because I think they were all very fun games. Um, But we, it is that idea. And I went back, actually, this was kind of funny. I I went back to look at some of the, um, the lopsided stats of the past. I went back and looked at like the shots versus shots on goal of like the U S Sweden game in 2016. I went back and I looked at those same stats for us versus Canada, just in the 2020 Olympics. Similar story, actually, right? I, I, for a second, I was like, wait, has it ever been this bad? And then I went back and I went like, okay, yes, we've seen this before <laughs> when it comes to attacking output not necessarily being reflected in the score line. Then the philosophical question is, and maybe it's a little bit of both, is, is this something you criticize the team not scoring for or is it something you commend the team defending for is it is it a criticism or a a commendation or maybe a little bit of both
1: uh the 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 I'm gonna weasel and say both but I but but I do think that like for for a team like Sweden I do think that like you you mentioned that offside goal Blackstinia scoring which of course hurt my heart I'm a big fan of Blackstinia when she's not playing for Arsenal um but I love to see uh I, I love that goal I actually love the way it was built up she mm-hmm. looked like to me she was offside and then she checked a run, came back, got right. on, looked like she got onside. It was clever by her. And then it looked like they held the pass until the right time. But it was one of those things where drawn lines on the, on the, on the screen. And you're like, okay, whatever. sure. It was I
0: think, like her shoulder or something. That yeah, was Yeah. It was like a shoulder to
1: shoulder thing. And it was just yeah. like, sure, whatever. Um, so, but, so I do think that, like you said, that does change the Sweden game, but then, you know, kind of after that, it was tough. It was very tough for Sweden. It didn't seem like they had a, a they didn't generate too many, like, really big chances. Um, I do know that, like, Nikki Everard, uh, the Belgium goalkeeper, incredible. Right. Absolutely incredible. Had a great match, um, was all over the place, and it and it, and it it kind of sucked that the goal that went in was, was the one that – it was kind of like it was just one of those scrambles in the box after a set piece, and then, you know, the, the, the center back gets a foot to it and puts it into the net, and you're like, okay, sure. After all that attacking talent, after all that attacking play that Sweden's able to do – you know, it ends up being a, a center back who gets the ball into the net um, from a kind of a broken play almost um, from from sure. a set piece. But, you know, I think you, conversely, you look at the Austria-Germany game. I thought Austria's defensive game plan was excellent. Yeah. Um, I thought their offensive game plan was excellent as well. They came out and kind of shocked Germany. Germany was like, it took them about 20 minutes to get a hold of the game. And then Austria, you know, continued to carve out chances when they could. Um, but like I mentioned before, like just hitting the post in the bar so many times, it was agonizing. And then Zinsberger and the way that Germany tried to press high to create chances. Right. That was like the epitome of what Germany tried to do. I think they've scored a goal like that in every single match. this tournament.
0: Yeah, that was that was a bummer of a goal because um, it, it Right. It was like the highlight. It's going to be the highlight real moment. Anytime you yeah. have a turnover like that. Um, for anybody who didn't see it was keeper to striker's foot striker pings it right into the back of the net. Um, and not indicative of the match itself, but also indicative of how Germany kind of, they kind of chip away at you a little Mm -hmm. bit when it comes to your own game plan. They're, um, they're very assertive in, like you said, that high press getting in the way, um, they're constantly watching the ball to see if there are those kinds of turnovers that they can force and, when a team does that to you over a course of 90 minutes, maybe eventually it works and and you, you mess up. Um, So speaking of center back goals, I want to talk about this a little bit too. (laughs) (laughs) So in the nature of these games being very close as we neared uh, regulation um, for all of these uh, other than, you know, Germany game a little bit less in doubt, but, but the other three, we've seen a very particular tactic in the European game. Uh, and I think we also saw a little bit with Canada when they were chasing a goal against the U S at the end of of the CONCACAF final, they're getting those big center backs up there. Right. So talk to me a little bit about this new era (laughs) of like the big lad center back. We're getting Millie bright up there. They got, uh, I'm trying to think who else they, they sent up. Well, you talk about Sweden sending somebody up. Um, I believe Netherlands did the exact same thing when they were chasing that goal against France in extra time. Um, not a new idea, But very popular right now, right?
1: Very popular. And I'll also add goalkeeper, you know, Panos for Spain was like an inch away from getting an equalizer. That would have been incredible. But yeah, I mean, honestly... I get it. Every time it happens, it almost seems to me like, oh, you're way out of ideas. Um, but the idea could just be, you know, get somebody in the box who's very good at, in the air and yeah. an and, uh, and imposing presence. So, yeah, I, I can kind of get it from that standpoint. Well, like what's the, the
0: stat? Uh, Wendy Raynard has the most shots <laughs> yeah. of anybody in the whole tournament. Is that true, right?
1: Yeah, she I, I saw days? that. I saw that come yeah. across the timeline and I just laughed because uh, that's absolutely. Amazing. I mean, she wins every single header yeah. that they that they put into the box. So it is absolutely incredible. But. I, I will say uh, regarding this tactic specifically, if we didn't have that brilliant photo of Millie Bright and Alexia Putea yes. sharing the golden boot <laughs> from the Arnold Clark-, Clark Cup, I would feel much differently about that. But just right. so those specific moments can continue to happen, I'm all for it.
0: Yeah. Agreed. No, that's probably also why we're kind of laughing about it now is there was just that in the Arnold <laughs> Clark back in what, like February, February or March. Um, right. Millie bright shares the golden brute with Alexia Putellas because they did that because England did that a couple times. Mm-hmm. And, but it also goes to show, you know, we talk about sort of these dress rehearsal games versus the real deal when England had to go into that survival mode, when they were still down that goal late in regulation against Spain, they do the same thing. They push bright mm-hmm. up and it works. I mean, Bright does not ultimately score the the goal, but it was her presence, it was the way that they kind of flipped into this. Everybody's tired including the defense. We're going to just keep whipping the ball into our our you know this certain physical profile of a player and that's going to be our best bet cuz we can't come up with great ideas right now but neither can they. And yeah. and so I think that we do see that. That's knockout soccer and I think that it's interesting to see those tactical adjustments. Um everybody knows right when you're chasing when you're chasing a game and and if you lose, your out. Obviously, you're sending all your numbers forward. But it feels like they're doing it a little bit earlier with the center backs than maybe it's like a total you know empty net sort of a situation, um, which I enjoy.
1: Um, yeah, when Serena did it, I was surprised because that was it was pretty early into the it match. It was pretty. Like, it was like seventy.
0: It was still like seventy.
1: Yeah, there was still like like twenty it minutes she? to play, yeah. and I was yeah. like, okay, you can. Yeah. You, this is one thing you can do. Right. Um, of course, you know, liking Millie Bright and how good she's been defensively, I was like. I would like to see it, but mm-hmm. uh, it was curious, a little curious.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it worked. You put it, put it in the mixer, right? That's all you got to do. <laughs> there you go. All you got to do. Okay. So I do want to highlight, spend a little bit of extra time on one of these games, um, because it, it it has a couple storylines that I think American audiences are very familiar with, actually, which is France versus Netherlands. This is probably the two teams that outside of England and Spain the we here in the States are very familiar with. We know the Netherlands obviously as the 2017 euros winners. We know them as the 2019 world cup runners up the U S played the Netherlands in the Tokyo Olympics in a very close game that was, you know, won by a shootout. Um, obviously no France very well, right. Um, same, they've had the same manager for a long time, as we all know, um, their roster looks slightly different than we've seen in, in their last major tournament, which was in 2019. Uh, good team. All as always, just trying to get to the top of the mountain for the first time. The other subplot to this, and we talk about coaches is Mark Parsons is the head coach of the Netherlands now. And, and we had Sophie Lawson on the show a while ago, and she was talking a little bit about Parsons's job with the Netherlands and how it's deceptively a little bit more difficult than it seems on paper because, um, because Serena Viegman did not rotate that roster a lot she burned a starting 11 really hard to get that 2017 win and that 2019 runners up and then once she left Parsons now has to turn it into a healthy like full 23 player roster obviously the Netherlands also gets hit with a lot of bad luck in this tournament they have COVID issues they have injuries all of that but Always feels a little bit of like some new coach. We're not sure how this is going rumblings with that team. So I wonder where you sit on it, Andre, where it's not dissimilar to Vlatko, I think. There's some outside extenuating circumstances here, and the job is more difficult and actually quite similar to what Vlatko is trying to do with the U.S. Not an easy thing to do, especially in a major tournament year, but also, you know, disappointing tournament. So what's your take on on what, like, how do you feel about Parsons right now? as the manager of this team? And are you like, we're not freaking out? Or are you like, maybe we need to be thinking about something different?
1: I'll start from the, initially the signing, like the hiring of Parsons for this job was, was confusing to me. You know, yeah. we saw the rumors and it was like, what? <laughs> this, this seems very strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course it happens and it seemed like, okay, fine. I think what makes it more what kind of puts Parsons in a, in a very strange light in some of this is the success that Serena's having with England. Yeah. Um, the fluidity with which they're playing now, you mentioned her being very strict with a set 11. She's doing kind of the same thing with England. Right. I think they, the past three games, I think they've had the exact same mm-hmm. uh, 11 starting 11. So it's been a lot of that. She knows who she wants to start. Um, and that's who always starts games. He has had, not as not, not he's had, to, I, like you said, he's had to do more in terms of getting more players up into the level. But I also think like tactically things aren't looking great. I think mm-hmm. the first part of this France game was very, very, very bad from a tactical standpoint. Well,
0: it seemed like they, I mean, everyone talked about the benching of Ruud, right? And how yeah. it kind of that lack of a, of a, of a midfield presence um, blew the game open, like right away. Yeah. So it became very trans, <laughs> you know, everybody clap, NWSL coach. It became very <laughs> transitional very early on. Um, but in a way that was not working for the Netherlands at all. And in fact, no. they had to bring the midfield subs in at halftime to calm the game down. Yeah. And so that did seem like an error, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that that's kind of that's kind of what we've seen. Like they haven't had terrible results. They haven't had a bad tournament, I'll say. Uh, especially for a coach, a new transition, getting familiar with some of the players, and and then of course you you throw in the COVID, COVID, and what that does to a roster and team, and players coming back from COVID. I mean, mm-hmm. Viv played like the entire match, and I don't know right. if he probably should have. But but are exhausted given the things we know that COVID does to your re- respiratory system. So um, it was it's it's hard to really gauge. I do think that this was a decent tournament, like good enough to be able to see. Okay, where is this going? but I would kind of have a microscope on things like pretty, pretty soon for some of the other matches that they may have scheduled in the future, because the team should be, they have the talent to be more cohesive and like, yeah, Lika Martins has an injury and goes home and you're like, that's one of our best attacking players, but also look at who they have the call on in their lineup. Like you mentioned, Joel Rort not playing banded Donk there Berenstein there. Miedema did play Pelova came in. So like you do have some very, very good talent yeah. in the team and, Even though France is really talented, you have enough midfield talent as as witnessed by the halftime adjustment to make sure the game doesn't completely play into the hands of France because you know exactly what they want to do. Want to get the ball to Cascarino and Diani so they can go to work on the wings. And they were doing that time and time and time again.
0: Right No, And it also did feel a little bit like a rock and a hard place, sort of a match where the Netherlands didn't have the personnel or the tactical idea to be able to stop France, but France didn't have Marie-Antoinette Cototo, so they couldn't score. And so (laughs) it it became something where you're like, Oh, both of these teams just look imbalanced in a way that sends this into, um, sends this into extra time scoreless though. Shout out to, to maybe, you know, want, want to give a, a shout out. We haven't mentioned her yet. Uh, talk about a young player that, that looks like the future of the program, which is very excited is Van Solar, who had an incredible match and goal
1: for yes. the Netherlands.
0: She comes in when sorry, Van Vienendahl gets injured in the first game of the whole tournament. Right. Um, yeah. And very lightly capped. Uh, kind of, again, similar to the, there's a lot of parallels here. Uh, (laughs) So the U.S. a little bit, a very lightly capped goalkeeper, um, came in and did really well. So I guess for me, for what I see from the Netherlands is I'm like, yeah, I think the pieces are there. And I think actually you think about the rotation of the younger players that they're getting into this group and they're exciting. It's an exciting new group. Now it's a, a thing of like, well, it just is kind of a bummer that the euros happened to be this year and it didn't work, but now you can regroup i'm not even actually sure they've qualified for the world cup yet so you go through world cup qualifying yeah. really tighten that up and then and then try to put the whole picture together next year um all right so moment of truth here moment of truth we have england versus sweden and we have france versus germany who could have guessed it these four in the semifinals <laughs> who knew um <laughs> some countries are just good at football so I'm going with picks. I'm asking for picks here. So we're going to start with England versus Sweden. Can anything, can anything stop the Lionesses? Can they be stopped? I'll say the thing that's tough for me about England is if it's not working against that starting 11, guess who they can bring in to beat you. And I think that that is really what makes them, to me, possibly the most dangerous team in the tournament left outside of Germany, who I do like quite a lot as well. What do you think, Andre?
1: Yeah, I- honestly, I would like to see them, I mean... The team just looked so much more fluid in Russo's at the nine as opposed to Ellen White. And I think that we saw that again. You know, they didn't score until that change was made. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that needs to change. I know we talked about Serena liking her 11. I think it's time for the change now. If they do that, I really like them against Sweden if they don't they might have some problems, but frustrations,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And honestly, they had frustrations with Spain because they ran up against two fullbacks who could handle their wingers. And if they run into something similar, not saying Sweden has the same depth of individual one V one talent, but they have good discipline and organization in their defense. And so they will be, it won't be as easy to just go one V one with the wingers. Like they've been doing the majority of the tournament. So if they're able to put in somebody centrally who gives them another option and more fluidity, I think they get it done versus Sweden.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the ultimate challenge with Sweden is the one that we see. Well, as we've seen in a number of big games with them in the last couple of years, which is that um, they're they'll go toe to toe with you physically. They'll set the physical tone. And they're another team that really likes to press. Um, Obviously, Um, Aslani has, has taken, it just seems like in the last five years, just another step forward in her game. We saw it in the Olympics. I think we're seeing it in this tournament, not only as an attacking playmaker, but just the work that she does off the ball to also negate Uh, the other team's midfield. So I think that that is going to be huge. I mean, you talk about the fullbacks. There was some, I know there was some chatter this week about, about Sweden's fullbacks as well. Um, So I think we're going to have a lot of outside backs looking to prove themselves in this game. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And so it might be a matter of just who, who's able to focus a little bit more. I agree. I think I'm going with England on this one just because I think with Sweden, some of those attacking issues are indicative of just how they play sometimes. And so yeah. maybe it all comes together and, and we see the kind of performance that we saw against the U S in, in 2021, or if it's a little bit closer to Sweden's average performance, I think that makes it, that makes it harder. Okay. All right. Next one. Now this one, I'm trying to think of the last time these two teams played each other in a major tournament. I think it was 2015 quarterfinal. I think that's right. France versus Germany. I think it was, uh, Germany defeated France in, in 2015 before they played the U S in the semifinal. I think that's right. Um, so they haven't played each other in like a major tournament in a while. It's been a minute. Um, but seems like a big one, right? France versus Germany. I, I don't know for sure, but I just don't think that this is going to be the game that France can, can put it all together and, and, and beat Germany on this one. What do you think, Andre?
1: We talk about coaching a lot <laughs> and coaching problems. And Diacre, just I, I just continue to be perplexed by the level of support from the Federation, uh, given all the things that happened. Um, there was a time, I, and I've been kind of saying it all tournament, like there's going to be a time when she is going to, this team is going to regret not having Henri uh, in, mm. in central midfield. Yeah. And it almost happened. Yeah, very much almost happened to the Netherlands because that midfield, especially in the second half, was gone. Like yeah. they, they were exhausted and there was nobody there to do anything. And that's when Netherlands kind of got back into the game. But, yeah, I think Germany's too good. Uh, I think they're, they're kind of – they have a good mix of, you know, you have Pop who mm-hmm. is – I'm loving this for her. On a mission. Her.
0: She's on a on mission. On an absolute yep. mission.
1: She's like, I finally got to one of these things. Yep. I'm finally healthy for one of these things. <laughs> she's, she said, it, "She I... said
0: I'm leaving with something. That's exactly, what she said.
1: Yeah. Exactly. I'm leaving here with something and she's doing it. And I absolutely love that. But then you have young attackers. You know, Clara Bull has been amazing this tournament. We know how good she is from, from watching the Frauen Bundesliga. So, like, I am, I am really scared of this Germany team. We mentioned they're a high press as well. If they're able to execute that and it has the effect of pinning back. The players on the wings who like to get forward for France, uh, it's hard to do because in most cases, it's their wingers, but it's also their fullbacks who can right. act as wingers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to do, but I think they can have that effect. And if they are able to limit that, not stop it, but limit it, they'll have the, a really good chance to get, uh, to get beyond France. So I'm, I'm leaning towards Germany, though I'm very sad for many of those players. And if Kototo is healthy, that ch- changes my mind.
0: For sure. And I, and I think I'm about to, I'll caveat this and say that this is old analysis. And if, if it's, if it's outdated, I I understand, but what I remember from, from Germany in 2019 was a, uh, a vulnerability down the middle. It -hmm. was not actually so much in the midfield or on the outside. It was sort of, you could split those center backs. Their greatest vulnerability was straight down the middle. And I think France doesn't have Katoto and that would have been in my, you know, my limited understanding, that would have been the area that you really try to penetrate when you are our France and you don't have that player available yeah. to you anymore. Um, and so I think that that also makes it difficult. Um, though, who knows, maybe, you know, it's another thing too, where you never know with the performance like France's against the Netherlands or Sweden's against Belgium, maybe it is easier to tighten some of those things up than we think, you know, you get through that game, um, things get a little bit more clinical who knows but i think they should be two really good games but before we before we finish this segment i do want to also just sort of do a quick roundup of what's happening in some of these other tournaments um the women's africa cup of nations also finished this weekend south africa won for the first time um the four qualifying nations for the world cup out of africa are south africa morocco zambia and nigeria Um, though Nigeria had a very disappointing tournament by their, by their standards, they finished in fourth, which is, I I went and checked. They have finished fourth once, but that does tie their worst finish at at this tournament. They've won it like 10 or 11 times. Um, Zambia is a wonderful success story. They were without star striker, Barbara Banda due to some really disappointing decisions made at the confederation level, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of just sort of policing for competition, you know, I I encourage people to go read the reporting on it. I don't really want to sum it up here uh, by, by way of, of getting that wrong, but um, Zambia gets third without her, which is pretty incredible. And then Morocco is a much bigger story because they were the host of the tournament and you watch that final and Morocco's gone women's soccer crazy, which is very cool to see. Um so I don't know if you have any any thoughts on this other than just you know nice to see South Africa get get over the top um but just some new some new players right Zambia is going to their first world cup Morocco is going to their first world cup um Cameroon still has a shot at it in the inter confederation playoff but it's going to be a, an uphill climb for them so I don't know any thoughts on on Wafcon Andre
1: Yeah I think you know I love the attendance. You know, we heard we saw so many records were broken in terms of attendance at the games. I mean, we we're looking at forty five thousand plus um, at, a, at the semifinal um, versus Nigeria and Morocco. I thought that was awesome. And then I think the final had a ridiculous amount uh, as well. I think that broke that record. It was set just days prior, Yeah, <laughs> which I, you always love to see. So I absolutely love that. But but yeah, I'm kind of like to me, I think the story is some of these newer, younger, exciting teams like Zambia getting in there. And I think South Africa as well. But I'm also looking at Nigeria like, come on, you can't. Yeah, you can't play that badly, in those kids. What's going on? <laughs> like, yeah, I know. You put Nigeria, those on as an automatic well, and, two goals. And
0: we got more reporting that, as always, Nigeria is is constantly fighting for more resources from their yeah. own federation. Um, there have, there's been reporting that the players have not been paid what they were promised. We saw this yeah. back in 2019 after the World Cup, where they've had to take some collective action. I do think there was at least one day of training that was suspended in protest mm-hmm. of having not been paid. Um, it seems like the amount of federation dysfunction, it's hard to protect a team from that. Yeah. And they also just had a very weird, weird game against Morocco where they had two red cards. It just, it was just yeah. not their, not their tournament. Yeah. Um, so hopefully they can, they can pull it together for next year because they are qualified. And then finally, um, we're Like I said, we're really going around the world. So now <laughs> in, in South America, uh, the Copa America Feminina is also finishing up. We have two semifinals, one of which is being played today as we record. Next one is being played tomorrow, which will be the day this comes out. Um, we have uh, the four semifinalists. So Copa America Feminina is a little bit different for World Cup qualifying with a lot of these other tournaments. Um, it was like if you make the semifinals, you're in to the World Cup. A little bit different for whatever reason, South America only got three berths to the 2023 World Cup rather mm. than four. So yeah. you actually have to make the final or win the third place game to qualify. Um, mm. The four teams that are left are Paraguay, Brazil, Colombia, and Argentina. Um, I guess maybe my only thought is I think we're seeing Brazil obviously looks like I think the title favorite. I think Colombia looks to me, like they are going to qualify for the world cup. I don't think they've lost a game yet. I'm really mm-hmm. happy for them. Host nation. Um, Argentina looks possibly like still that third best team in the region. They had to fight off a, a pretty decent challenge from Venezuela and their group. Um, and then Chile was a little bit of a disappointment though. They are also going to that intercontinental cause they did get fifth. Um, so just same question, any general general thoughts on, on Copa America? Should they get more slots? I think yes.
1: Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing a growth. We're seeing better, you know, some, some development from some of the teams coming over here. I think I really love this for Colombia. You know, we've, we've had them play, a, play the U.S. Women's National Team here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've gotten a good look at them and some of their uh, the, the players that they have who are talented. So, like, I'm, I'm excited to see that. This Brazil team, it's extremely fun. Yeah. Extremely fun. Talk I think about that another
0: team kind of going through a generational change a little bit and doing a nice job with it. Yeah.
1: I was about to say, you know, that so everybody remembers that famous, you know, March of speech in 2019 world cup where she's yep. imploring, you know, players to come on. It can't just be me. It can't just be, you know, all the players of my generation. And we're starting to see younger players really step up and it's got to be really awesome for her. Um, even though she's of course out injured, but it's gotta be really awesome to see the team have such high level of performances um, as well without her. So yeah, I'm I'm excited about this and I completely agree with you. I think I don't know why they lost a spot. <laughs> uh yeah. that's frustrating, but I cause I would like to see more. Um we know that women's soccer tends to be quite uh European heavy uh in some of these spots and and you understand for some of the some of the bias, I suppose, <laughs> European countries. But yeah. I, I do think that we're starting to see a lot more and a lot more un, and a higher level of talent across the world. And I hope that you know, the, the slots can reflect that as it continues to grow.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm excited for a 32 team world cup. I think it's going to be really fun to to be honest. Um, so last, last question for this segment, and this is the one that everybody's talking about. Everybody's got, got a thought about it. I think everybody's thought is one or the other. (laughs) Uh, obviously these are all regional tournaments, right? We're not, it's not a world cup that's next year but people can't help themselves they're watching some of these euros games and they think to themselves hmm how would the us do here how would canada do here <laughs> you know they watch some of the they watch brazil play right or, or they watch watch some of the african teams play so i'll start i'll start with mine i'll go first okay i think Thank that you. do i watch all of this and think oh yeah us lock great no absolutely not <laughs> Yeah. Do I think that other teams have some similar question marks the same way the U.S. does? Actually, yeah, though. I think that um, what I see is a really competitive top six, seven, eight team group in the world. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the U.S. is is there is is in that conversation. I think here's a falling off or a little bit overblown. But yes, more competitive than ever. Absolutely. What do you think, Andre, especially kind of projecting out a year from now?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, Blacko kind of took some heat on it uh, after the tournament when he said, you know, he doesn't think they're ready uh, for the World Cup like right now, but they will be ready in a year. And honestly, I was like, I like to I like that. honesty. I'm glad he didn't say so. That would have scared me more than him saying what he said. Right. But I also think there are a lot of teams like that Mm that that are not quite ready. I think you can see them in the Euros right now. Um, there are still some teams who aren't quite ready. They still have question marks to figure out talent they need to bring through. So there, there are, and of course, if we mentioned the thing with the U S there are a lot of injuries. So mm-hmm. for me, when those players recover and get integrated back into the team, what, is it, what does everything look like now? So, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I think, you know, I, I do watch some teams and because I think they're further ahead in their development, I think it would be dangerous for the U S to play them. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at like England is a very right. England's team. hitting
0: like right now. Yeah,
1: they're they're at a peak right now. That it looks like a, a quite a high level, and I'd be a yeah. little concerned to play them if we had to play them like next month. Right. Um. So yeah, I, but but it's not bad. Uh, the the honesty is not bad, and yeah. where we're at is not bad. Um. I just you know I've always want I always want to see more, sure, you know, more of a of a of a plan, a tactical plan, less crossing into the box because I think this team can play multiple styles and multiple ways to attack a back line that doesn't always have to be crossing the ball in from wide um especially with some of the players we have so yeah i i'm i'm not alarmed by that but yeah i'm am thankful we have a year until the world cup
0: yeah for sure (laughs) i mean i think like like we've said multiple times right it's um i don't think the question is ever about the talent level i don't think that um, I, you know, I've said this a lot and people don't always agree with me, but I do think this is true, which is that every country is getting better, including the U.S. I think the U S has with, with every generation, it provides new looks and, and more versatile players. And I think the U S is going through the same evolution. Everybody else is, um, but it is about putting it all together. And like we said, yeah. coaching, I'd yeah. like to think that Antonovsky has it in him. We don't know yet though. We haven't seen it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been really good. We're going to have, um, oh my gosh, is this true? I think this is by the next time we record, I think the euros will be over. I think we have, we have, we have uh semi this week and then I think it's Sunday, right? Yep. Is the euros final? Oh my gosh, we're getting there. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so I guess these are our big predictions. We'll come back in a week and find out if we're wrong. We'll be back, uh, after the break, just to do a little bit of NWSL chatter as we get ready. To see some games after the weekend off, so everybody stay tuned. We'll Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Andre Carlisle. Going to do my little spiel. Please give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. We love to see it. It helps people find us. And since we're one of the uh, one of the more independent uh, podcasts out there talking women's soccer, it's usually very, very helpful to leave us a five-star rating, five-star review. Um, let's talk NWSL a little bit. We took a weekend off everybody went on vacation they hung out by the beach and the pool and wherever else for a week I was very jealous um but now we're back so jealous I know
1: so so jealous (laughs) I'm
0: like where's my mandatory (laughs) seven-day vacation like
1: went on an entire like European vacation every time I opened up Instagram it was like Barcelona Paris the one that did actually make me
0: laugh a little bit was Lindsay Horan clearly went on some hikes and I was like, girl, your knee.
1: I know, right? Rest your knee, please. <laughs>
0: she had Just it like taped up us. for her hike. And I was like, what's going on here?
1: <laughs> oh, God. thats t- I didn't even see that one. I'm sad. <laughs> Why? Why? Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, we're getting back into it. Back to some NWSL action. And I said this before we started. And I know I say this a lot, but it still feels kind of true. Kind of feels like the season starts now. Um. U S and Canada were actually very lucky. Well, we'll find, uh, we'll find out probably more this week if there were any like lingering, lingering soft tissue, anything like that, mm-hmm. but no major injuries in, in W, which is great. Awesome. Love to see it. Right. Um, so all of the U S players are coming back as we know, they're, they're fit and they're okay to go. Same with the Canada players. Um, same with p- players coming back from Jamaica. We already saw Maria Sanchez come back from, from Mexico. Um, So we're getting like full strength as full strength, about as full strength as these teams are going to get this season, Um, which I think is going to change some things because we're going to have some teams really push for all three points. And we're going to have some teams that maybe did well in the first half of the season recede a little bit, or they'll have to kind of take that next step forward to also deal with talent coming back. Um, Just talking a little bit about the weekend coming up. Ones that I've kind of got penciled that are interesting. Um, not that we haven't given them enough time on this podcast this season, but I do think we should take a second to mention North Carolina versus Washington, right? Um, not what anybody expected it would be probably after the challenge cup final we're in match day 12 of, of 20. Um, bottom of the, we're looking at like a bottom of the table clash here. Sure. One of these teams really needs to win. It seems like both teams struggled with that sort of will to win over the last couple of weeks, especially with their internationals gone. And obviously, North Carolina is not going to have their Brazilian duo back for a while. What do you think? Who do you have? If, you, if it has to be one, one of these teams that pulls it together and shocks the table. Who is it, Andre?
1: You know, I'm sad about it because I think it's got to be North Carolina just because they will have now they will have to probably go through a hellacious stretch in probably September of making up some games that were postponed. That's because true. Of COVID. They have
0: more opportunities.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they I think they have like nine games played in this and they'll have 10 at the end of this game, whereas the spare will have 14 games played. So they have quite a few chances to grab some more points. So I, I tend to lean towards them. I just think the brutal schedule uh, for the spirit in the beginning of the season, just like in this league, you cannot make up points. Like there aren't any, there aren't easy points out there to grab. I mean, you, you look at other leagues and you may say, okay, you know, you can, you can go on a run and get yourself three points here or there, you know, as you kind of build back up to your best self, like they're going to have to be in playoff championship mode right now.
0: Well, they're basically going to have to do what they did last year. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah but to, and to be honest, Probably a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, and for a little bit longer than what they did because of where they're starting from right yeah. now. They really need to get themselves three points, like a consecutive run of three points, not just not losing, but actually winning games. And that's been very difficult for them, even when, you know, some players like Sanchez and Rodman and Andy Sullivan were there. There were still draw a lot of draws. Yeah. So it's going to be difficult for the spirit, I think. And I'm, I'm sad by that, but I am just looking at it realistically. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a rough one.
0: It's that it's, it's the first Friday night game. Definitely one. I, uh, I recommend, um, yeah. checking out. So maybe on the flip side, um, two teams that were a little bit surprised at the top ish of the table. We've got Chicago. Chicago hosting yeah. san diego this is also a little bit of a promo and i'm, I'm gonna do it because i think it's worth doing that's the double header um, with the chicago fire if you live in the midwest and want to catch a red stars game please go to this one this is the one to go to go catch catch them at soldier field um plan your parking and driving in advance it is lollapalooza weekend so it's oh, going heavens. to be crowded <laughs> down there um wow. but, it'll, but it'll be cool hopefully it's going to be a big summertime shy party um Chicago versus San Diego. So we saw, saw Chicago kind of get thumped against Houston in their, in their last game before the break, San Diego has looked fine though. Obviously that loss to angel city just felt a little bit like, Oh, they need their internationals back. Mm-hmm. We're not sure. Certainly not um, by schedule, but also just by injury. I'm not sure Sophia Jakobsen is going to come back in the state that she was in when she left. She's been dealing with an yeah. injury with Sweden. Um, so maybe this is my question. Of these two, who do you think is better equipped to like hang in there with the top six? Chicago's getting Pew back, San Diego's getting Morgan back. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I think also I wonder how close Chicago is to getting players like Morgan Catraw back. Like that that will be pretty impressive. <laughs> that will be <laughs>
0: Um I've been off for a while, I think. I think it's gonna be a little
1: bit OK, well, then that changes things because I was going to say Chicago can kind of like, I,
0: you know, I, I mean, I keep asking. I keep I mm-hmm. this is this is the cycle of the whole season. I'll be front with all of you every four weeks. I say, how's Morgan Gatra doing? And they say it's going to be another four weeks. And I go, mm. OK, I'll ask again in four weeks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound like a good uh, a, no. a good pattern. So, yeah, well I'll, I'll ignore that then. But. I really did like the way that Chicago was playing before, um, you know, Pugh went away and they've actually done a decent job, you know, apart from the Ebony Salmons terror, terrorizing yeah, okay. them. Um, I think they've had a, a good run without Mal Pew. I think that a lot of the rookies have really stepped up. It's, it's a credit to the coaching staff. It seems that that everybody knows their role so well and their rookies can come in and execute because they know exactly what they need to do. Um, San Diego similarly well-coached I think. Mm-hmm. And so their little stumble recently is a little concerning. You know, yeah. they did lose to Angel City. They did a draw nil-nil with Rossing Louisville. Yeah, mm-hmm. it um, and so it, it's, I don't, this is a tough one. I kind of lean Chicago, but based on just, I, I like how they're playing better. <laughs> that's <laughs> fair. Like no, I do think playing. that's fair.
0: Yeah, I I think it'll be the reintegration of the stars, I think is going to be the most yeah. important thing. And it's just who is best equipped to have those players back and respond right away. Um, uh, yeah, you know, too, I mean, Which
1: is apparently a big deal. So. Yeah.
0: True. Very true. <laughs> you know what? That's a good point. Um, yeah. I mean like I'm hopeful and this is, I mean, obviously if people know I'm based in Chicago, but I mean this just holistically, I am hopeful that there'll be a good crowd and maybe yeah. one of the bigger crowds that the red stars have played for this season. And maybe that'll give them a little bit of a boost too. I want this to be a success. Um, so they can do more in the future. Um, it's been a long time since the red stars have actually played in the city of Chicago. So I'm excited to, to see that. Um, and then just the one other, I want to circle because it's also just, well, okay, no, actually I have two more questions for you. Two more questions for you here. Well, question number one, Portland versus Louisville. Now this is more of a Portland question is, is the Portland thorns shield win kind of feel a little bit like an inevitability at this point, like they're not in first yet but they're feeling kind of thirsty right now, right?
1: Yeah, they're scary. Yeah. Um they're they're back to being quite scary and of course they get Sophia Smith back who is yeah. e- extremely scary. Um so yeah, I think I think it does. They they've also shown that they're very hard to beat. Yeah. So that's been like that that is what typically gives you a massive leg up when it comes to the shield. And so it seems like the combination of that plus letting Sophia Smith get back to being Sophia Smith and, and going crazy like she was before uh, she left for the break um, or the international tournament. Yeah, it looks like it. You know, there are some teams that are up there, but but I just—it's honestly, I think my thing with San Diego, not to go back to them, but it's yeah, just—it's yeah. hard to see an expansion team keeping this up.
0: Right. You know, yeah, I, hist- I, eventually history just the there's a reason why it's never been done before. And there's going to be a wide measure of most successful expansion team in their first year ever. San Diego's already there, right? If San Diego didn't exist, Angel city would already be there, but shield winning, (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly. That's tough. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, at some point, I think you're going to come up against some teams that are going to take three points from you, and you're going to tumble down a bit. Now, obviously, there's still going to be a strong playoff team, I believe. Yeah. But I just, uh, the Shield would be massive in their yeah. first season, and I, it's hard for me to see that. But maybe yeah. I'm just, you know, maybe I'm not imagining them enough. I Let's think see.
0: that's fair. I do think that's fair. I think... um I still think they have some tweaks that they can make to become more dangerous than they already are. I mean, we mm-hmm. would love to see Amira Ali and, and Alex Morgan to get to play together more. Like there are little things yeah. you can do. Um, but at some point, one of the by nature of being an expansion team, that quote unquote things you can do list is maybe shorter than some yeah. of the other teams that have been around for a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, speaking of last one, I want to highlight here uh, Angel City hosting OL Rain. OL Rain is another one that everyone I think feels really good about the trajectory, but they're not like they're not at the top yet. They're, they haven't actually no. done the thing that we're expecting them to do. And on the flip side, same with Angel City. Angel City, they lose Kristen Press. Obviously, they make a big move to go get Sidney LaRue. There's an expected slide from Angel City that we still have not quite seen yet. So maybe two teams on different trajectories, but I think this could be a close one, actually.
1: Yeah, I definitely think this could be a close one. It really depends. For me, the thing with rain is, are they going to find that goal scorer? yeah um Heidema coming in is that going to be the thing because if you look at them and the way that they play and their style of play it's incredible like they are one of the most pleasing teams to watch for sure if you like everything but the ball going in the back of the net yeah. <laughs> like if you I just want to watch the build-up play
0: and I'll also you know I'll be honest I really liked what I saw from Tobin Heath in in her 15 yes. minutes or so before the break I was surprised actually okay. I was like oh she looks maybe it's not for a full game but she can give at least, you know, 20 to 30 really quality minutes here, which I think is a a boost for them with Haidama. I just feel like we haven't seen it yet. Right. She just hasn't gotten consistent playing time in so long.
1: Yeah. And that's, what's going to be the thing. I mean, it is a bit of a gamble for them, um, but they needed to do something. I think that at that number nine, I I don't, you know, I don't, I, I really like Bethany Balser and I was hoping it would end up being her. um, But you know, it's just, it's weird. If you look at them, they're in sixth place right now. um, And in, in terms of all the playoff eligible teams at the moment, they have the least goal scored. this is yep. 11. And that's kind of ridiculous given the way that we watch them play every single weekend. And you're like, this team, very fluid, knows a lot what they're doing. They're just struggling getting the ball in the back of the net. So if they can fix that, to me, they'll leapfrog. Like, they're they're my kind of pick to leapfrog up the of table. Like,
0: maybe they score six, nine, they get six or nine points real quick. Yeah, Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. They absolutely can do that. But it is going to be consistency of goal scoring in the second half of the season that is going to be the thing I think that is going to define whether – they I will say make the playoffs at all, but also go to like perhaps a championship game, <laughs> who right. knows so like they there's a wide variance there, but I think I think that's what it all comes down to for them
0: yeah and then and then on the angel city side the the one thing that I was struck by again that that win against San Diego, which I thought was just very impressive from them, um obviously they get a boost being at home that's kind of they're doing a nice job of. Weathering the fact that other teams really want to beat them at home. <laughs> so they've gotten a couple <laughs> of nice results at the bank. But um, talking about teams that make themselves hard to beat, mm-hmm. it doesn't look as easy as when Portland does it, yeah. but the full team commitment to defending actually from Angel City, even when it's like leaky and they have to fix mistakes and they're struggling to move the ball. But the commitment is there 100 percent. And that's what I really like about them. And do you think that any game, you know, I think that you take them lightly at your own peril, maybe is, is where I'm at with them right now.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And why I, th- I thought it was so perfect that when Kristen Press went down, they went and got the be- one of the best defensive forwards in the game in Sydney LaRue. Yeah. The way that she plays is like tailor fit for the way that Freya Coombe has that team playing. Mm-hmm. The only thing I'll say with them is Freya's got to do a lot more substitution. <laughs> it is very hard to do this yes. with this type of defensive commitment team-wide. Mm-hmm. Week in, week out with a pretty set 11, 12, 13 players. Like, you need a bit more rotation, and I'm hoping we can see that in the second half of the season because if not, those players are going to hit a wall.
0: It's where you're going to see more like one nil heartbreak losses than one nil wins. Right. Yeah. Eventually that will, you're like right in the middle and it will shift what side you're on um, as, as players get more tired. I agree with that too. Um, Yeah. So anything else, I mean, general, just sort of general, looking forward to seeing seeing what teams bring Um, any other storylines you think people should be paying attention to this weekend.
1: I'm I'm looking at even though, you know, they play Orlando, but I'm very interested to see Kansas City. I think, you know, when we were I was talking about, you know, who can take advantage of this break in time. It was Kansas City who could who could take advantage the most. And I think they have done that. They racked up points when they really needed to um, during this break. And then, of course, I also think Houston's interesting. New coach. Um, I, uh, we know they have a lot of attacking talent they won't have, you know, Rachel Daly back, obviously she's still, you know, with England, but they still have some players back and getting Ebony Salmon integrated into what they want to do. I'm pretty excited to see what this Houston team can maybe turn into. Um, they might not have enough time left, um, and the season to really do something, but their performance, <laughs> their performance versus Chicago was like, Ooh, well, yeah,
0: it was okay. Cool. Then. Yeah. yeah. No, and Andre just saw me grimace, and that was because I was scrolling up to try to remind myself of Gotham's last game, and I was like, "Oh yes."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna ask what that was yeah, about. That was yes. literally um, just me
0: being like, "I feel like it wasn't great, but I don't exactly remember." That was their 5-0 loss against yeah. Portland. Um, yeah, big yikes! Yeah, so if you talk about maybe a team that that Houston could keep that that you know streak rolling against, it might it might be Gotham coming off a very, a very different, very different game. Yeah, fascinating to watch. I'll be happy to have NWSL back. Also happy just with a little bit clearer air, a little bit less international stuff going on, but some big games this weekend. Um, Thank you, Andre, so much for joining me. This was very (laughs) wide-stretched. It's helpful to talk to somebody who watches as many games as I do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's nonstop, but I love it.
0: That's right. That's right. Uh, I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy, and our distributor, Blue Wire Podcast. We'll be back next week with the... some winners, some losers, and and more stuff to talk about. So everybody, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.